Gracious Father, I thank you that we can build our lives upon your love and upon your truth. Your son told us in the Sermon on the Mount that those of us who hear your words and put them into practice are like those who built their house on a rock. And the wind blew and the floods came and the house didn't move for its foundation was you. So God, I pray that this morning as we study your word, as we continue in an attitude of worship, Father, that this would be another moment of building our house on the foundation of your truth. Help us to hear what you would say to us and then to put it into practice so that you would be glorified in our lives and so we would have uh, an impact on our community building your kingdom one soul at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we did look at verse 23. And before we get too far, let's just read our passage. Um, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, or I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. So last week we did. We looked at verse 23, where we were exhorted that if we had a desire to follow Jesus, that we would deny ourselves, that's denying our selfish desires and ambitions, that we would surrender to God, his will and his way daily in our lives, and that we would follow Jesus. And we defined this word desire. And so I asked this question, are we determined to choose every day to intentionally follow Jesus with love and delight? Now, the same question applies to saving our lives for whoever desires, verse 24, to save his life will lose it. And that word desire is the same word. So if we have a desire, if we're determined to choose every day to intentionally to follow Jesus, are we then determined to choose every day to intentionally save our lives? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because if we are, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever desires or whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And that's where we pick up in verse 24. Because economics in the kingdom of God have always worked differently. Right? In the world, if you want to save something, you don't intentionally lose it. Right? You, you try to hang on to it. We see this a lot. In our world, if you want to be first, what do you do? Well, you get there early so that you can be first. Or you push other people aside so that you can be first. But in the kingdom of God, whoever wants to be first will be last. What about being great? 
What do we see in our world, in our world, in our culture, in, in the business world, in the sports world, in, in, in Hollywood or the music, anywhere, anywhere you look? Politics. If you want to be great, you destroy other people. That's your goal. Right? Your goal is, is to embarrass them, to tear them apart, to push them away, to make them, uh, or at least in the eyes of other people, look like less than you are. That's not the way kingdom economics works. Whoever wants to be greatest must be the servant of all. What do we do with our enemies according to our culture? Well, we hate them and we want revenge and and all that. But what does Jesus tell us? Love your enemies. There's a lot of other examples of kingdom economics because kingdom economics is different because here what we have today seems to be a bit of an oxymoron right everybody knows what an oxymoron is right two words that go together that have opposite meanings honest politician (laughs) thank you thank you uh right because that doesn't exist and and i don't care who you vote for or what side of the aisle you you sit on um with maybe one exception and, and that's that's pat's son Uh, Because we've seen him just be way honest. (laughs) Ask him about the video. He'll show it to you. Um, But, right, most most of the time you know a politician's lying because they're talking. And we seem to have before us this morning an oxymoron. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. So let's explore this. To save and lose. The word for save here is sozo in the Greek. And it means to keep or make safe, to deliver, protect, heal, preserve, save, or be made whole. It's a wonderful word. Uh, Unfortunately, there is an entity in our world that has uh, um, co-opted that word to mean something else. And and it's unfortunate. But um, it's it's a good word. It's a great word. To make safe, deliver, protect, heal, preserve, save, or be made whole. So if you want that, I mean, how many of us don't want to be healed, delivered, protected, made safe, made whole? I I can't, if you come up to a person, you know, would you like healing and to be made whole, body, soul, and spirit? Nah. I really like suffering. It's fun. You're not going to get that answer, except maybe from Eeyore. It's it's not not who you're going to get that answer from. But if that's what you want, then you have to let all of that go. The word for lose, apolumi, to fully destroy, die, mar, or perish. That's a strong word. Because what we would like to say, if you want to lose your, if if you want to save your life, you just have to give control over to God. Yeah, that's true, but that's not what the word means. Well, if you want to save your life, you just have to let go of your past. Yeah, okay. That's not what the word means. It means to destroy, to die, like dying to self, to lose, to mar, or to perish. To put it bluntly, when we try to save ourselves, we will fail miserably. That's all there is to it. Our attempts to save ourselves will result in our destruction. 
And I know that doesn't sound like good news, does it? Galatians 2.16, For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And too many people in this world think that they can do something to save themselves. They can live good enough. They can say the right things. They can, they can do the right things. They can give to the right charity. And what Jesus is telling us, if you try to do this on your own, it's going to lead to destruction. However, if you lose yourself, for his sake, you'll save it. So if we lose our lives for Jesus' sake, we will be saved. And I love this. The word for sake, right, as in losing ourselves for his sake, is the word, and I am so not joking, Heineken. Now, we could build a really false theology on how drinking Heineken beer will get you into heaven. It's not true. Don't do that. This is not speaking about beer. This is the word that means to give ourselves up. Here we give ourselves up to him, and when we do that, we are saved. Jesus put this another way in Matthew 21, verse 44. And he says there, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind to powder. Simply put, this takes us back to the topic of surrender. When we fall on Jesus willingly, yes, we will be broken. We will be broken from our sin, from our past, from our failures, from other issues. We will be broken. But why do we get broken when we fall on him? Because it's there that we come to the end of ourselves. And when we come to the end of ourselves, giving up on the idea that we can save ourselves, giving up on the idea that we'll ever be good enough, giving up on the idea that there's something in us that deserves it. Well, it's there that we can find the beginning of our new life in Christ. And I know that doesn't sound really cheery, does it? But that's why the good news is so good. That's why the gospel is so good. Because I'm not going to feed you sunshine and roses. We are sinners. And if by raise of hand, don't do it, we went around the room and I asked, has anybody in here sinned this week? Right? Because if any of you walked perfectly this week, we're going we're gonna to head out to the Mesa and we're going to see if you can uh, float on your feet. Now, I'm not going to go into all the, the lovely details. I've sinned this week. And just by way of confession, because you, you all get to be my, my group therapy, um, I had some anger issues this week. Now, thankfully, I didn't take them out on anybody. I, I, they all came out when I was alone, but um, they still came out. And they came out in a way that was not attractive. And thankfully, God listened and then he loved me, and I repented, and, and I know he's forgiven me, but it was still there. And it's not pleasant, but because none of us are perfect. The problem is, there are too many people who think they're really close. 
And so they refuse to fall on the rock, either because they don't want to be broken or because they don't want to admit that they are. And when you refuse to fall on him, then he will fall on you. And those people will be ground to powder. That phrase, ground to powder, means to be destroyed, eternally judged, and lost. The question is, do you want to save your life or lose it? And I think most people would be like, well, I'd like to, I'd like to save my life. I don't, I don't want to be lost in some way. But then that turns in, do you want to be broken by falling on the rock? Or do you want to let him fall on you and be ground to powder? Because if you want to save your life, then you have to give it up to him. You have to surrender to Jesus. And I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir this morning. But I don't care. We can't hear the gospel enough, can we? We just can't. There's a reason. It's such good news. And I think something that's good for all of us, do you ever get in the habit of preaching the gospel to yourself? I know, and again, I'm grateful that nobody was here to witness this because it wasn't pretty. Um, Because I was here. uh, I was at the church and... um, and if anybody had been watching, like, it's good that we don't have cameras up around the inside of the church. Um, as I stomped around and, and was just furious and, and yelled at the ceiling. Um, you guys don't want to hear this stuff about me, do you? I'm not perfect. I'm very far from it. If you didn't know that already, uh, I am saved by grace just like everybody else. And in that moment when I got done and God got a hold of me and the Spirit got a hold of my brain and calmed me down... I had to preach the gospel to myself. I had to be reminded that he loves me enough that he died on the cross for my sins and rose again. And that means I can be forgiven. There's a reason we had so many songs about mercy this morning. I was reminded a lot about God's mercy this morning. There's a beautiful phrase in Greek, Kyrie eleison, uh, and it just means Lord have mercy. It's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. And I think when we fall on that rock, whether it's for the very first time where we're we're first broken, realizing our need for redemption and salvation, or whether it's the 12,837th time that we fall on that rock in our brokenness so our Savior can save us, so we can do exactly what he came to do, and that's to pull us back out of it. And only he can do that. In verse 25, he asks the next question. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Some of you have probably heard this story, but I want to share it. It popped into my mind as I was working on this this week about the little girl who was so excited about her fake string of pearls. You guys heard this one before? Anybody? She loved her fake pearls. She wore them all the time. She wouldn't take them off when it was time for a bath. She wouldn't take them off when it was time for bed. She just loved these little plastic fake pearls. So one day her dad decided he was going to surprise her. And he brought her home a real string of pearls. 
And he said, sweetheart, I have a gift for you. But I need you to give me your fake string of pearls. No, daddy. I can't give up. This is my favorite thing in the world. You can have my teddy bear. He says, no, I don't want your teddy bear. I need, I need that necklace. No, no, daddy, I can't do that. You can, you can have all my dolls. And they went through this, and they went through this. She just wouldn't give up the fake string of pearls, even though the dad had the real string of pearls in his pocket. This is us, sometimes. Because we have to make a choice. Do we want everything? Do we want the absolute, the best of what the world has to offer and the abundance of it? Or are we willing to let that go? So that we're not lost or destroyed. It's an interesting statement. The word gain the world, or the phrase here. What profit is it if you gain the world, but you yourself are destroyed or lost? This phrase literally means to gain the cosmos, which is different. World is actually a really bad translation. Um, Cosmos is the word in Greek, and it's exactly what we think of. It's the universe. This is more than fame, right? He's not asking, you know, would you be willing to give up your salvation in order to be famous? Or he goes, if you, if you could be famous, would it be worth it? If you could be wealthy, if you could have all the possessions, would it be worth it? That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is asking, is there any profit, usefulness or advantage, if taking possession of all that exists, if it costs us our soul? And you think, yeah, but who, who would ever think of that or who would ever try that? There was one who did. Satan tried it. It's exactly what he attempted to do. He wanted to be God. He wanted to gain everything. And if you want to do a little bit of homework for yourself, you can go read Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 21. We're not going to turn there right now for sake of time. But when you go there, you'll read things like his attempt to exalt his throne above the throne of God. What Satan wanted was to be his creator. He wanted to gain the cosmos. What did he get? He lost heaven. He lost his relationship with his creator. Now put yourself in the place of our Savior as he said these words. Because Jesus, as God, created Satan. Jesus, as God, witnessed his rebellion. When he said, what profit is it to gain the whole world and lose yourself? He witnessed part of his creation attempt that very thing. And I'm sure it was heartbreaking for him. And he says that to us because he doesn't want us to make the same mistake. So the word lose here, right? 
is destroyed or lost. It's the same word from earlier, to be fully destroyed, to die, to lose, to mar, or to perish. In Matthew 16, verse 26, uh, Matthew recorded it this way. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, same word, cosmos, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And the answer is no. There is nothing that is worth giving up your soul for. And this, my dear brothers and sisters, this is where the rubber meets the proverbial road. He asks a rhetorical question, is there anything worth your soul? And then he gives us the answer that there is nothing in all of existence that is worth your soul. Nothing. Because it would not be beneficial or advantageous. Even if it were possible, which it's not, but even if it were possible to gain everything, to literally be exalted over the throne of God, even if it were possible, it would cost you everything. And in the end, you would lose everything you thought you gained. Philippians 3, 7 through 9, Paul gives us this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. Right? And it's the same word we looked at before, yielding ourselves to him, giving ourselves over to him. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, think for a moment. If you know Paul's story, his testimony, what did Paul lose? So when he says, I count everything as rubbish, what did Paul lose? Well, we know he lost his friends. He was a Pharisee. And none of the Pharisees would speak to him. Actually, they wanted him dead later on. He lost his job when he became a Christian. He couldn't be a Pharisee anymore. He lost his social standing. As a Pharisee, he was well suspected in Jewish culture. He was well received by people and probably doing quite well financially. Which means he lost his income. Something that a lot of people don't think about or know is that he would have lost his wife. Because in order to be a Pharisee, you had to be married. Church tradition tells us that he had a couple kids. He lost his kids. He lost everything. And what does he say? Whatever I had, I count as loss. And he goes, even though I suffered the loss of all things, I now count them as rubbish so I can have Jesus. That's big. Think about the things in our world that people are willing to give up their soul for. It's not even as grand as the cosmos. 
But people who they want fame or they want money or they want social standing or they want followers on Instagram or whatever. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to get those things. All the while ignoring the only place we can go to truly gain everything there is. And that's Christ. In verse 26, Jesus picks up. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. There are many things in my life that I am ashamed of. Uh, I told you a story from this very week. And I, I don't tell you that because I'm the only thing I have to boast in is the fact that God loves me enough to forgive me my foolishness. I'm not proud of that. And there are so many things in my past that I am ashamed of. But that shame has been lifted because of the grace and mercy and love and forgiveness of God in Christ. The statement from our Savior should be very sobering to us. If we are ashamed of our Savior and or his word, he will be ashamed of us when the time comes. Right? When he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. When Jesus returns, whether he returns for us because it's the end of our time here on earth, or he returns for all of us because it's the time of the rapture, if we're ashamed of him, he's going to return the favor. The word for ashamed. I always, I don't know why I even try, because you know how bad my pronunciation is. Epahi skunomahi. Say that three times fast. It means to have a feeling of shame for something. But it's a feeling of disfigurement or a feeling of disgrace. Another way we could put it is being embarrassed. Feeling dishonor or feeling humiliation. For what? Of me, Jesus said, or of my words. So let's start with being ashamed of him. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus said this, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I love God's word. I love it. There's a few places that make my job so much harder. Because there's a few places in scripture where we're told something that we just aren't allowed to dismiss. We're not allowed to get rid of it. We're not allowed to try to explain it away. We're not allowed to try and say, well, you know, if you just, if you knew the Greek, you could interpret it this way. You can look up the Greek. It says the same thing. Another one of those places, it's, it's one of my favorites to come across, and, and I just, I have no explanation other than what it says, where Jesus says, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Huh? Well, that puts big thing on forgiveness, doesn't it? If I refuse to forgive somebody else, he won't forgive me. He gives us the parable of the, of the unjust steward. 
No, that's the wrong parable. The unjust steward was the steward who was a liar. The unforgiving servant. The unforgiving servant, sorry. But it's true. Here, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my father. If you deny me, I'll deny you. Again, I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand, but has anybody in here ever denied Christ at some point in their life? You answer that for yourself. I know the answer for me. I have. And I've repented a lot because I know what this verse says. But I think there's too many people in the world, and, and I really, I'm not trying to beat anybody up today. This, this message is very convicting for me as well. Um, it's, it's just what it says. I know there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but because it would be socially uncomfortable to be bold in their faith, they just don't do it. Oh, well, you know, I just, I don't really talk about Jesus at work because I don't want my coworkers, you know, to be annoyed with me. Your coworkers are going to hell. It's okay if they're annoyed. Well, you know, I just, I just don't bring it up on holidays because my family gets all upset. Your family might be going to hell. It's okay if they get upset. I'm not saying you have to be overly obnoxious and walk in at Thanksgiving dinner with your Bible and go around the table and hit every person on the head with it. Probably not going to get you very far. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But if we don't share the gospel with people, how are they going to hear? And if we deny him in front of others, well, this verse in Matthew 10, 32 and 33 is true. Don't do that. Or be ashamed of his words. Where I think a lot of people who are followers of Christ will gladly say, well, of course I believe in Jesus and I know he died on the cross for me and, and I love him and I know he loves me. But how many then are willing to uphold his word in a culture that so desperately wants to deny it? And we think, well, yeah, but we've never lived in times like this. Yes, we have. Well, we haven't. But it's cyclical. It's been going on for ages. Jeremiah said this to the Israelites in chapter 8 of his prophecy in verses 8 and 9. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it, the word of God, into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Now, I'm going to spout off a few very unpopular opinions in our world today, but I don't care because they're the truth. Do we see this in the big C church today? And we do. How many churches deny the truth of God's word in various ways? Maybe by embracing homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin. And I've said it many times. If a person who was homosexual or trans or something like that came into our church, I would welcome them with open arms. I would love them and I would share the gospel with them. And then if they looked at me and they said, oh, so, so you think it's okay for me to live this way? I would say, no, it's not. You're endangering your soul. Oh, well, so you're saying I have to change to come to church? Absolutely not. You can't change until you come to Jesus. That's the truth of it. And I would love to have those folks 
whoever they are. I don't care what your sin is. Come here and meet Jesus and he'll take care of it. Right? It's the same for all of us. And I don't look at a person in that particular sin and say that their sin is worse than mine because it's not. All sin is a violation of God's perfection. All sin is dishonoring to him. I don't care what it is. You tell a little white lie at work or you get involved in, a, in an orgy, it's all sin before God. Our culture will say one is not worse than the other, but it is all sin before God. Didn't think you were going to come to church and hear about orgies this morning, did you? Every now and then something comes out of my mouth and I'm like, really? But it's not just there, right? I mean, that's a hot button issue in our culture. But abortion, I mean, there's churches that say that abortion isn't a sin. Yeah, murdering innocent children will always be a sin. I don't care what you think. Because the Bible tells us differently. Then you have people that distort the word of God. And I'll give you this one. Oh, I'm going to make people mad. This will be fun. That if you're a Democrat, you can't really be a Christian. Yes, you can. Oh, but if you're a Republican and you don't really care about social justice issues, then you're certainly not a Christian. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus was not a Republican. If Jesus was here today, he would not vote for Donald Trump. I know you can lynch me later. He wouldn't vote for Biden either. (laughs) Just being honest. Because that's not what he cares about. Politics are politics. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved, that we shouldn't make our voice heard. We absolutely should, but that's not why we're here. We're here to share the gospel. But churches are distorting these things over and over and over again. And one day they will stand before God and he will ask them, why were you ashamed of my word? And what are their answers going to be? Well, I disagreed with it. Well, that's not going to work. It wasn't socially acceptable to be honest about what the Bible says. That's not going to cut it. Well, I didn't, I didn't want people to be angry with me because I told them the truth. Be angry with me. If you're angry with me, and I know you're not because you guys are all wonderful and I love you and hopefully you love me. Maybe a little less right now, but that's okay. But if you're angry with me or if anybody gets angry with me because I told them the truth, especially if I told them the truth in love, that doesn't hurt my feelings. And I've had, I've had people get mad at me. In all the years I've been a pastor, I've had people leave churches I've pastored because they didn't like it that I told them the truth of something the Bible said. It broke my heart because I love them. But I'm not going to compromise his word so you'll like me. I would much rather you go to heaven hating me than go to hell because I told you what you wanted to hear. It's also why our church is this size. There's not a lot of people who like that. You know what? I would rather have a church with this number of people who love and follow Christ than mobs and mobs and mobs of people who are all going to hell because I preach garbage. I love you too much to do that. And more importantly, I'm going to answer to God for it one day. And I don't want to be unfaithful with his word. 
So we as a church, we're never going to be ashamed of him. I as an individual will never be ashamed of him. We as a church are never going to compromise his word. And I as an individual am going to do my very best by God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit to never compromise his word. Paul told us in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And there is no reason any person who is a follower of Christ will ever be ashamed of our Savior will ever be ashamed of his word or will ever be ashamed of the gospel. Paul prayed in Ephesians 6.19 for the boldness to proclaim the gospel. And I know it's hard. It's hard for all of us. And people sometimes will look at me, well, you're a pastor. Is it really hard for you? Yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes I'll be talking to somebody and the spirit will be prompting me. And and I just, oh, and, and, and I struggle with it. And I shouldn't, but I do. But the point is, that's what we do. And so we ask God for boldness. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, Paul was thankful that even though they had been shamefully treated, they had boldness in God to declare the gospel. So if you're ever worried about it, if you ever wonder, wow, it's just so hard. I know there's this one person, God has put him on my heart, and I need to share the truth of the gospel with him, but I don't know how to do it, just ask. If you come to God and go, Lord, I want to help this person know you, God is going to honor that request. He's going to give you the boldness. He's going to give you the words. I know that for a fact. Why should we not be ashamed of the gospel? Because it's the gospel that removes all our shame. Romans 10, 10 and 11. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So people may not like it. People may get angry. People may hate you. People may stop talking to you. People may mock you or persecute you or scream at you or cuss you out. You know what our response is? We love them. And we share the truth of God's word with them. Kingdom economics, my friends, it just works differently. He says, those who are standing here, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> uh, it has been wrongly interpreted that, that Jesus returned before the apostles died. And that's why he made that statement. That is not true. Just in case you're wondering, we will explore that next week. As we close, to deny ourselves, to surrender to God every day and to follow him wherever he leads that's the first part of the cost of discipleship that we talked about last week. That whoever desires to follow me must take up his cross daily. Losing ourselves in order to be saved, giving up in order to gain, and never being ashamed is the rest of the cost of discipleship. The implications of this are far-reaching, and they will mean so many things to so many different people that there is no way that we could ever encompass that in one message because what it means for me to take up my cross to lose my life 
is going to look different than what it means for you to take up your cross and lose your life. Right? It's going to look different. And, and I can't look at you and judge you and say, well, you're not yielding to God the same way I am. Well, because he's not asking you to yield to him the same way he's asking me. And it's not that one is better or one is worse or one is greater and one is less. It's just different. And how he asks me to yield myself to him and follow him is going to look different than how he asks you to yield yourself and follow him. But here's the point. Yield yourself to him and follow him. It's okay if it looks different. The cost of discipleship is high. What does he ask for? Everything. Why does he ask for that? Because he's given us everything. And he's given us so much more than we could possibly imagine. You guys remember Jim Elliott? He was one of the missionaries that went to the Waoani, the Waorani, or the Auka Indians in Ecuador. And him and his friends, uh, Nate Saint, and there was, there was a couple others, I can never remember their names. Um, they made contact with his tribe that had never been made contact with the outside world. And they killed them for it. The tribe killed them. Beautiful, beautiful movie, Through the Gates of Splendor, based on Elizabeth Elliott's book. Uh, if you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. We'll, we'll watch that before we watch Groundhog Day as a church movie night. But highly recommend it. Uh, he wrote in his journal, Jim Elliott, shortly before he died, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love that. You can't keep your life anyway. If you try to, it's not going to end well. So you might as well give it away. So here's how we're going to close. For the person who does not know Christ, are you trying to save yourself in some way? If there's anybody here or anybody listening or anybody who hears this recording later, you're never going to be successful trying to save yourself. And that's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to. Stop trying to save yourself and trust in Christ. He'll save you. He's promised to do so. For those, those of us who know Jesus, my question is, have we embraced the cost of discipleship? In Luke 14, 25 through 33, we read this. Great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, And if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, does not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I'm reading all that now because by the time we get to chapter 14, today's message will be long gone in all of our minds, most likely. But I think we need to really hear what Jesus is saying to us right now. Is he telling us to hate our families? Right To look at my wife and say, I hate you because I'm going to follow Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Does he want us to abandon our families, to stop taking care of our kids, to quit our jobs and depart from the world? That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? He's saying that everything in our lives has to come after 
following him. We surrender everything to him, taking up our cross, including our families, including our careers, and so forth, so that we can accept his invitation. And are we willing to do that, to see him glorified in our lives and to see his kingdom built in our community? That's a big question, I know. Because if we're to be apprentices to our master, Jesus, then the answer has to be yes. Like I said earlier, that's going to look different in each of our lives. Betting most of you aren't called to vocational ministry. I am. But you know what I'm not called to? What most of you do. I'm just not. Right? There, there are a lot of various things recommend, or, or recommended, or represented in our church. There's folks who are retired. We have people in college. We have people who are entrepreneurs. We have people who, who work in the service industry when, and mechanics and, and hairstylists and a physical therapist here today. And we, we have all of that. I'm not called to that. You don't want me cutting people's hair. You don't want me to try to fix whatever it is you own that's broken. I promise. And just for fun, we might not want some of you up here preaching the word. (laughs) Just being honest, right? Because that may not be your calling. And whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. As long as you're following what God wants you to do, that's what matters. Let's pray. Our loving and merciful Father, in this moment we come before you with humble hearts, desiring to surrender all that we are and all that we have to you. God, I know that following Jesus requires laying down my own desires, my own ambitions, and my plans at the foot of your cross. Help each of us to be ready to do so. We seek the strength to deny ourselves and to embrace the surrender that comes with discipleship, and to follow Jesus with unwavering commitment. Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us with the courage and the peace needed to let go of the things that hold us back from following you and fully embracing your will. Help us to trust that in surrendering to you we will find freedom, that in giving up our lives for your sake, we will discover the abundant life that you've promised. Take our lives, Father. May my hands perform your work. May my feet walk in your path. May my voice speak your truth and my heart beat with your unending love. May your will be done in and through me and in through my family and in through our church family as it is in heaven. And may our lives be a testament to the grace and power of your Son, Jesus Christ, who surrendered all for our sake. Amen.